0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have my two good friends here, Rahul and Alex, but today we're joined by a very special guest, the Podfather, Chij. (laughs) Welcome to our podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Good to see you.
0: Absolutely. An honour to have you here. Uh, Rahul, I'll turn it over to you for the first question, and we'll get started there.
2: Yes, so... Everyone knows you as the pod father. Uh, I want to take you back about 14, maybe 15 years ago at this point. Uh, the decision to start the fan cast
1: uh, around 2008, if I'm not wrong. You're dead right, Raul. It was uh, <clears throat> kind of April, I think. Uh, yeah, late April in 2000. It was just before we played Liverpool in the semi final of the Champions League, uh, you know, when we ended up going to Moscow. Yep. And how did it start? Well, um, I, think, I think at that time, for about eight months or so, I'd been producing an absolutely terrible, terrible TVs. Well, <laughs> actually, no, what I produced was good. It was just for a really awful television station. It was called Nuts TV, which was, uh, I, I, I don't know if you'd know it in America, but it was kind of uh, published by... Uh, well there was a magazine called nuts and there was a kind of a a, a whole load of magazines that came out in the kind of late 90s uh, mid 90s lads mags they called them so things like loaded and fhm nuts and for some bizarre reason uh, nuts decided they would break into the tv market so i worked for a company that uh, got the gig and uh, i was producing um Basically, a daily a daily show for them, and it was it was on sport basically. But it was we kind of made it as a kind of a, a slightly more mad version of a very classic football show that was made over here during the European Championships. And know, you know what the name's? Are? Oh, the, foot, the football football fantasy show, I think, which had uh, David Bedil, who's a great Chelsea fan, as you probably know, right, and Frank Skinner. And I mean, basically, every other kind of lads-oriented football show that came after that was just a copy of it. And I, I I'd make no apology for the fact. <laughs> <was> as well. <laughs> um, so I'd been doing that for a while, and I got really fed up with, uh, you know, my bosses above me, people who run the channel, people who, you know, worked for nuts trying to tell me how to make a football program, because I knew that I knew far more about football than I'll ever know. Uh, And I just kind of bumped into these people at a party in some kind of fancy nightclub in uh, in in Soho in London. And uh, they were they were basically they just set up a company called Football Fancast. And their idea was to have a podcast for every team that they could manage to get one for. And I I got talking to them and they said, well, you know, have you got one for Chelsea? And they said, no. And I said, well, I can do a bloody good job on that because I'm a TV (laughs) producer, so I know what I'm talking about. And they said, yeah, all right, then do it. Uh, And there we go. And, I mean, that's pretty much how we started. But the the idea for it really was to make – I mean, I had no idea what a podcast was. I mean, I don't think many people did in those days. It was like the dark ages, you know. But I thought, you know, great. What I want is an authentic show that really delivers what it's like to go to football, and what it's like to have been going football for years and years and years. So I had basically, and this has kind of stayed true right to this day, you know, I I only want to have people on there that I go to the games with who are mates. And that's how we started. And of course, for me, you know, it was great because I I spent my career making programmes and being told how to make them by idiots. (laughs) And this thing, I could write the script, I could present it, I produced it. Nobody would argue with me and tell me how to do it, and it was with my mates, so it was like perfect. And that was kind of really how we started. It, in a that, pub, I hasten to add as well.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. I I remember when Jackie and I grew up in Ghana, and, and I remember the Facebook group came across mm. uh, on our on our profiles, and, and we joined it, and that's kind of how we learned of of the the podcast, the fancast. And, and you're right; we back then podcasts weren't weren't a real thing. So Facebook group for us was, was definitely uh, the way we got into it. And then years and years later, we, we decided let's, let's start our own. So uh, thank you for being the one that paved the
1: way. Uh, Well, yeah, I feel a bit like Dr. Frankenstein, you know, but I, I mean, look, you know, I've, I've, I've gone on record saying this many, many times. I mean, you know, I think, I think there are, there are many reasons why people do podcasts and, I, you know who who are we to judge why people would do them but I mean you know I can only really speak for myself but um, for me it was always just the desire to, to to put content out there that was authentic really that gave you the real experience and I mean you know if I tell you that quite often after we finish recording we still sit on zoom for another hour or two talking <laughs> to each other you know, so it's the joy of talking about football. And I think if you, I mean, having, having worked in media for many, many years, I mean, I, 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 I worked for a company and directed a, a whole load of programs on, on the World Cup in 2006, and it was the first commissioned TV series that was basically going to go out on a mobile phone. So that was, like, way ahead of its time. Yeah. Okay, so it was all about bringing in brands and sponsors to get the whole thing monetized. So I knew exactly how to do that. In other words, exactly what so many people who start podcasts are doing now. But I never wanted to do that because I knew how much ball ache it would be to do it. Yeah. And I knew that it would compromise the show. You know, if if I don't do the show for money and I do it for love, nobody can. I was about to swear. I don't know how you guys are for swearing. So. <laughs> We we typically, yeah, we typically keep it clean.
2: Yeah, we typically we typically don't. But I, I think we could make an no, exception for no, you.
1: I've been on radio enough to know know when to keep it clean. But nobody can tell me what to do, and I kind of like it like that. But if people want to like get into it because they see it as a way of gaining popularity or making money or whatever, who am I to tell them they shouldn't? You know. Right. So right. as far as I'm concerned, the more podcasts out there the better. Why not? If, if the whole world was just Chelsea podcasts, wouldn't it be a much better place? <laughs> <laughs> it, it
2: definitely would. But it also brings to light that every fan has a different perspective and opinion. So yeah. you're right. If everyone has an, a, a platform to share that, it, it's great. Um, let's come to this past week and, and more recent times. Uh, there's been a little bit of news breaking in and around our club, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, Romans decided to sell so uh, what has been the reaction of obviously amongst uh, you and your mates but also just in general the fan base out there in England
1: Uh well that's a good one that is a good one I mean I think first of all um, I think the whole thing is clearly clouded by by how it's come about yeah and I've just written uh, I, I don't know if you know but I, I do a weekly column for football.london and obviously, I've written one this week, picking up on the whole events. Um, I, I gave it to them on Friday, and it's still with the lawyers, so it hasn't been published. Right. So that should tell you everything right. that you need to right. know. And I think they're in line. And I mean, I, I, I you know, I've, I've gone quite hard on the media and the politicians, um, not because you know, look, Raymond had no choice but to sell, and the reason he had no choice but to sell was because his continued ownership of the club was going to or, or is already damaging the club's reputation. The brand, right. And, I mean, if you just take the football out of it for a minute, it would be the same in any big corporation, you know, any big company. The guy who's the figurehead of that company, you know, it gets some bad press. You know, you've got to go because you start right. losing sponsors and all the rest of it. So that's, that's kind of non-negotiable we have to be very careful what we say about about Raymond, which is probably why my articles with the lawyers still um but if i tell you that for various reasons which are to do with um some of our government agencies not being able to join the dots but he's not being sanctioned by the uk he's not being sanctioned in europe he's not being sanctioned in the states and as you probably know, the states have never been backwards in going forwards about sanctioning people. In fact, a lot of the people that the UK government, the Russian people that the UK government have sanctioned were sanctioned by the states back in 2014. Right. Right. He's not on any of those lists. Now, I don't know what that means. I'm not an expert. Um, but, you know, there have been a number of politicians who have been sticking the boot into Roman as a result. Uh, which they can do under parliamentary privilege because what they say in the House of Commons they can't be done for slander, so they're protected. And Roman has been always been very litigious, so if you say something in the in the in in the, in the press or whatever that's in the public domain, he will go after you. That also I think says something yeah. about yeah. what yeah. his links are. But you know, it's really hard to say. But the bottom line is, I think it's been stoked up a lot by a lot of politicians. The media have grabbed hold of it. And I think the, the, the context within which we as Chelsea supporters are looking at it is the fact that what has been very unpleasant has been the idea that because people have made rumours and, and, and uh, accusations about Roman having links with Putin, that have, as I said, yet been completely proven, so they're all alleged, uh, by the same, you know, by association we're suddenly responsible for the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. Right. We're suddenly right. siding with Putin, which right. is absolutely right. rubbish, I say, trying to keep it clean. You know, it's rubbish. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's made a lot of us very angry. I mean, I don't, I can't speak for you guys, but I, I think that Putin invading uh, uh, Ukraine is the second coming of Hitler. Right. This exactly. is how serious <laughs> this is. I mean, I'm a bit older than you guys, not old <laughs> enough to have been in the Second World War, That's, I hasten to add. But, you know, it's just unbelievable. This guy is a, is a megalomaniac and a dictator and he needs to be dealt with. And, and this is not also, by the way, this is not a time to be on the wrong side of history. So if you could right, take yourself back, right. back to the 30s thinking, oh, well, maybe Putin not really a bad chap. That's the equivalent of saying, oh, well, maybe Hitler's not a bad right. chap. You know, th- you, you need to be on the right, right side. side. Of it. So so that's the backdrop to it, which I do think is important. But I think for us and for the club, it's it's potentially a disaster. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that take the politics out of it, take the reasons why he may have got into it out of it. He has absolutely been the best owner we could have ever had at that football club. Um, He clearly loves the club. He clearly loves football. You know, he 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 does it for fun and for love. Not as as he said in his statement. Right. You know, this is not about making money for him. Now the the accusers will say, well, of course it's not, because he's kind of like, you know, doing it to find safety and security here and all the rest of it. But I've I've met the guy, you know, he loves football. He loves this club, you know, and he wants to do right by it, which is the other reason why I think he's he's selling up. Right. But potentially it's a disaster. Only if, you know, we, we will never get an owner as good as him, to, who will just put their hand in their pocket and buy a hundred million striker because we feel we need one, who invested in, the academy to the extent that he did. And that's that's before we even start talking about the fact that he uh, he let all the ex-players who had been ostracised by Bates back in. He set up a huge hospitality network for them. He set yeah, up the Chelsea yeah. Foundation. I mean, I could go on for hours talking yeah. about all the things he's done for this club. So to not have an owner like that is potentially disastrous. However, what he has done, he has built Chelsea up to such a huge extent I mean, okay. You can talk about the football. We're uh, we're in the elite. We're one of the the world's top clubs, without a doubt. But um, we're also a very attractive proposition for anybody who comes in. And he's made us so big and attractive that the only person who come in can come in is somebody who has a lot of money. Right. So therefore, I I think what will happen is that we'll we'll end up with a, a a billionaire owner, you know, who won't be as as magnanimous and generous as Roman. But I can't see us you know, going down the toilet like Leeds did or something like that. So I think we're safe. He's made us safe from that. But I still don't think we're going to get an owner who is anywhere anywhere near being as good as Roman has been for us.
2: Yeah. And, and you bring up a lot of great points here. We've actually discussed we were, we were going to bring you on as our special guest for the 100th episode. Uh, this episode is going to be one-on-one because we did have to do a reaction to the Roman statement. And everything you've touched on, uh, right from the politicians to the decision to sell, we covered it uh, extensively on, on that last episode. So it's great to hear that we're all on the same page. It doesn't matter where we live and, and what kind of media we consume. Yeah. So absolutely uh, agree with you. And all we can say at this point is thank you, Roman. And, and he picks the next person, which is going to be key for us. Uh, I'll have, yep. Yeah. I'll hand it over to Jackie uh, for the next couple of questions and then Alex can uh, bring us home.
0: Yeah, so Ched, you kind of answered this already, but based on when we got into supporting Chelsea, that was around when Roman came on into the club. And so our perspective has been, you know, heavy financial investment, lots of improvements. It'd be good for you to help kind of paint a picture of what Chelsea was like pre-Roman Abramovich and then post-Roman Abramovich and what those two sides of the club would look like.
1: That's a really that's a really good point, Jackie, you know, and I, and I feel for a lot of you guys who have found the club, you know, since Roman right. has been here because you've known nothing else but unmitigated success. Correct. That's and right. Massive, massive wealth and the ability to finance whatever we need. Um, I mean, I, I I didn't really start coming along until the 80s, but um you know people like J.K. that you'll know from the show, and, and a lot, and Mark, Mark, me, and people like that. They were right. Tony. They were all going in the seventies, and of course, we nearly went out of business in the seventies when we built, built the. Uh, well, right. the idea was to redevelop the stadium, as you know, but we only managed to build the stand, and it bankrupted the club, and we were we could have gone out of business then. Yeah, um, and we got relegated, and then again um, in the early eighties, uh, we nearly went out of business again because they hadn't really recovered from what happened in the seventies. Ken Bates came in, bought it for a pound, um, but really just cleared the debt. Um, and I mean, you know, it was so we kind of kind of lived with Chelsea, you know, being strapped for cash, being, you know, they used to sing a song to us back in the 70s and the 80s, Stanford Bridges falling down. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what I kind of grew up with. Um, I mean, I could sit here talking to you again for hours about how much fun it was as well in those times. You know, there's no doubt about that. And of course, we had a lot of success. It all changed really, didn't it, in the 90s with the Premier League. Uh, Ken Bates, uh, I think the, the, the most important thing really was the fact that he managed to get the threat of the ground being uh, sold to property developers. And of course, the CPO was very much right. part of that. Right. But he, Bates right. was brilliant in the way that he dealt with these predators. And once he managed to get rid of them, he started getting money into the club. And that's when he started to rebuild the ground. And of course, he put money onto the pitch as well with the help of, you know, Matthew Harding in particular. So, you know, the 90s, don't forget, was a really successful pitch. I mean, I remember I can tell you, in fact, you know, maybe how I felt just before Roman came in, which would be useful for you guys, because I remember the season before that we had not made one signing. OK, we've spent no money on a signing. A couple of years before, we'd gone quite large. We bought Frank Lampard, if you remember, for about 12 million quid. Yep. We made no signings at all. Uh, we finished six. And I think our only signing was Kike De Lucas on a free. And I, I remember at the time being really excited about, you know, getting six. Yeah, we're back. You know, it's good. Right. I mean, I I had no kind of thought about. I mean, I don't think for the top four. I think it was maybe two or three that went into the Champions League. Then, no thought of that. No thought of winning the title or anything like that. It was all about a cup. I, I was still absolutely gutted that we'd, you know, lost the cup final to to Arsenal in 2002. Um, so, you know, it was it was kind of, that was kind of normal Chelsea. I mean, we. I mean, and I was looking back on that period between, say, 97, 96, and 2001 as maybe the golden era of Chelsea because right. we'd won more trophies in that period than we had at any time in our history. We'd seen the likes of Glenn Hodd or at jean Luca Aviali, Zola was still at the club. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, you know, it's been a really good five or six years. Football is cyclical. We're probably going to have a bit of a downward spiral now. But hey, I've spent most of my life in that situation, so I can live with that. I've just seen us win, the, you know, the Cup Winners' Cup, the FA yep. Cup twice, you know, I, it's been okay. And that's kind of how I was. What I didn't know was that, you know, the following, the end of that season, that that game against Liverpool, if we hadn't won that, we would have gone bankrupt, and I don't think any of us really knew that at the time, you know. So Roman saved us from that. But yeah, that was my feeling. We'd had a good ride; it'd been great, and maybe that's come to an end, as it always does in football, because that's what always happened then. Roman's changed the whole ballpark, because football was cyclical before he turned up. You know, you'd have five, 10 years success, maybe. And then somebody else would, because you'd fall away. Yeah. What he's done is he stopped that happening. Amazing. Yeah.
0: It, it's absolutely amazing. And it's interesting because you talked about how you felt happy that we won a cup over those four or five years. It was brilliant. And we, go, we come on this podcast every week. And now, Chij, if we lose a game 1-0, we're complaining for days because the standard has got to a point now where we want to win every single game. We want to see great performances every week. And it's nice to see a different perspective where, hey, we won a couple of cups. We've had a good run for five years. We were sixth grade. I remember a few seasons ago where we were inching into fourth and we were saying, as a club, that isn't good enough. So it's a complete 180 on what's happened since he's taken over. I'll talk about a little more lighthearted comment. And maybe it's a tough one. Maybe it's an easy one for you. Obviously, since Abramovich came in, he pumped a lot of funding into Chelsea. Who was the best player of the Abramovich era so far? Best that he bought. Yeah. Yeah, Didier Drogba.
1: <laughs>
3: Unquestionably. Right up there.
0: Yeah, right up there with one of the best. Absolutely. We talked about that actually last week, and I've been even with that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's been cycles of, as you say, cycles, but as Didier moved on and Aiden Hazard maybe came in and spent eight years with us and did some yeah. unbelievable things, absolutely great.
1: But, I mean, you know, Drogba, I mean, it's, it's really hard to qualify. I think right. context is everything, isn't it? Eden Hazard is probably the most talented player I've ever seen at the club. Right. I, I, it's a real tough call, that, because I want to say Zola desperately.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: But I, I just have to. I think Hazard was had the. I, I don't think I've ever seen a player at Chelsea with more talent. But Drogba was the best because he just turned up when it mattered most. He, what did he score? Something like 11 goals in finals? That's right. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. Just measure Drogba's quality in terms of the trophies that he helped to deliver. And, for, and there's nobody close to him in that, in that respect. In terms of people who Roman bought, I mean, Czech would be up there, I think. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Definitely a good, good shout there. We are big fans of Drogba. We, we haven't got to see him live at Stamford Bridge, but Rahul and I had the pleasure of seeing him at the African Cup of Nations, which was yeah. brilliant in itself. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Alex, I'll pass it over to you to ask a couple more questions here.
3: Sure. Um, so I guess sort of going off that most recent question, you, you named Drogba, I agreed with you there, on your favorite or I guess the best player of the Abramovich era. Um, what was your favorite game? If you had to pick one, which, again, might be difficult uh, of the Abrabovic is there anything that sticks out to you in your mind as, you know, that was a game that just had everything or that we won something great or that you just enjoyed personally? I think I, I could
1: come up with hundreds, Alex. <laughs> but <Yeah.
3: laughs>
1: I'll try not to. I'll pick them for different reasons. I think the, the 4-2 against Barcelona in the first Champions League campaign under Mourinho was just just unbelievable um, actually'm going to go I'm going to go with four because i 'm greedy the four two okay. against Barcelona because I was at all of these matches, and I think it's i mean I, without any disrespect it 's different if you 've been there yeah, you know absolutely. absolutely so the four two the four two i 've just never seen Chelsea play football quite like that against a very good Barcelona side, and I was in the shed end that night, so I was right in the end where uh, the, those three goals that occurred in a very short space of time in. happened. And of course, that Ronaldinho goal, which is the most weird experience I've had in a stadium where everybody just went quiet because they didn't, couldn't figure out what had happened. Um, the, uh, the 6-0 against Arsenal, because I don't think I've ever laughed so much at a football match. <laughs> it was just comedy. It was just hilarious you yeah, know, yeah. because it was ruining Wenger's thousandth match. And getting uh, the wrong player sent off and some great guys. It was just hilarious. And I, 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 that one I'll take to my grave. It just made yeah. me laugh. That one was great. Um, the three, was it? I can't remember the bloody score now. Um, I think it might have been, yeah, 3 1 against Napoli in the Champions oh, yeah. League. Because that was just one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at the bridge. And it's just a great story, which I won't bore you with about that. Because I, I didn't have a ticket before the match, had no money. My company had gone bust. I'd lost loads of money. And a mate got me a ticket at the last minute. And so I shouldn't have even been there. So that was brilliant. Uh, But the best one of all, I have to say, was being in Munich in 2012. Because, you know, again, I I, I only got there at the last minute because I had no money. Um, And for me and my generation, if you grew up and you watched the likes of Liverpool, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest, all win European Cups and and large it over you. Um, The thought, I mean, so many of my lot, we were in tears at the end of the match because we couldn't quite believe what we had done because, you know, go back to what we were saying earlier, you know, seeing them in the second division playing teams like Rotherham and Shrewsbury and Cambridge United. To see the thing that we we can say, well, we've done what Liverpool and Forest and, and Villa have managed to do it was just enormous, and that was the best night of my life, and it will never. I'm, I wasn't lucky enough to be in Porto because the whole COVID thing made the tickets right. hard to get hold of, but uh, I don't think it would have come close to Munich for me still. So,
3: yeah, there's definitely something special about that first time. I think um, absolutely, so that's, that's fantastic. Um, some great choices there, and. Now, one, one last question, I suppose, before we, we launch into a little review of the most recent match would be, you, you've touched on a little bit already the fact that it's very unlikely we'll be lucky to get an owner um, after Roman who is similarly just passionate and dedicated to the club first, the fans first, and finances second, um, if at all. I think that's, that's rare these days. And I, as I said on, on our prior episode I really did take it for granted, probably because I'm a much younger fan who has been spoiled in many ways um, by by having been here really exclusively under Roman's reign. Um, I always looked at at the, the United fans protesting their ownership and the Arsenal fans protesting their ownership and said, you know, that's never happening to us. We've got the most dedicated, uh, great owner in world football, in my opinion. What do you think the Chelsea future holds under a different owner um, what shifts might we expect to see? Um, I mean, hopefully for the fans, I'm sure maybe it's a case of the fewer changes, the better, because we really do have a formula down at this point. Um, but do you think we will see things that, that are, are drastic changes, little changes, and maybe you could also touch on, uh, the known stigma or at least the perceived stigma against American ownership or owners of different nationalities. I know that's sometimes a hot topic on social media, um, so just to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Great question, Alex.
1: Your questions are like my answers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, God, where do you start? I mean, I think that, I think that the, the first thing is, of course, we just we just simply can't know at all. We have no idea at all because until we know who the owner is, even then we won't know because they may change. They may have had a track record of doing something in one place and they may change. So we just cannot know until we see the evidence in front of us. But what I would, what I would hope is that they realise that what, what, what Roman has done in the last 20 years, he's built up a really world-class organisation in almost every facet, apart from ticketing, of the, uh, of the club. You know, so we've got the best academy, we've got the best women's team, we've got some of the best uh, you know, medical departments, we've got the, we've got the best coach in the world in my opinion in thomas tuchel we've got some of the best players in the world you know we're we're pretty good at getting commercial deals over the line as well we've got a good track record there so there are so many facets of that and and of course yeah the 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 way that they deal with you know the chelsea foundation that's world leading as well there's no club that gives more to charity than chelsea so in in so many facets of the club it is world class and it's world class because of the vision but also because of the people that work there. So what I don't want to see is some owner coming in and ripping all of that up, because you don't broke what's, you know you't don't, don't, you don't fix what ain't broke, you know. Uh, and, I, and I mean, I, I would love to say I, I would include Marina Grenovskaya in that. I think she's proved herself to be world-class. I mean, if they could keep hold of her, I think that that would be superb. I doubt it, because she's very much Roman's kind of right-arm lady, but if they could keep her. I, if I was buying the club tomorrow, I would do everything I could to keep her. I would keep Peter Cech in his role as well. In fact, I yeah. would try and keep pretty much everything the same as it is now, it, operationally. You know, and I, if I was coming in tomorrow, I would give that six months to a year before I started making any serious changes. You know, because it's working pretty damn well, you know, where the world champions just won the European Cup. You know, what worries me is that, that, that they won't, uh, you know, with with that kind of wealth and business success comes a massively large ego, in my experience. So the temptation is to stamp their mark on it. And I think that would be an absolute disaster if they do. From a supporter's point of view, I mean, funnily enough, we had a we had a Chelsea Supporters Trust EGM uh, at lunchtime today, which I was at. And we've already put a statement out there putting whoever comes in on notice. But, you know, from a supporters and a supporters trust point of view, I want to see supporters included in the decision making, included in the dialogue. I want to see the, uh, you know, the things that really matter to us, like ticket prices, you know, being taken care of. So, you know, I think that I think right under Roman, they only got increased once in his entire tenure. You know, so that speaks volumes about the man in my book. I don't want to. I can see a new owner coming in, having spent three billion or whatever. The first thing they'll do is whack the prices up. Um, So I want, I want the 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 culture and the history of the club to be protected. So I want us to be called Chelsea. I want us to have blue home kit. You know, I want uh, all sorts of things like that respected as part of the club. Uh, And that's that's the job. I think of people like us on the trust to make sure that that happens in as much as we can, given how little power we really have. I I, I think one other thing I would say was, you know, whilst Roman was wonderful and very generous, and as I said, I I mean, he used to contribute to all sorts of things for the supporters, which you wouldn't even know about, banners and things, uh, the £10 trips on the trains to away games, things like that. You know, he was always very generous with stuff like that. But, I mean, for the last few years, he's been trying to make sure the club runs on a break-even level, certainly. So, you know, there's been huge ructions this year about the fact that there was bound to be a, a season ticket increase, largely because of the pandemic and the issue that that caused. Uh, they've got this horrible Westview nonsense where they're charging £3,000 for a season ticket. So, you know, they weren't all, they weren't kind of like giving out candy every week. They were trying to run it like a normal football club and we were resisting that. Um, but that has to continue because I, I do worry that a new owner is going to come in and rip that up and it's going to be a very worrying time. There Was a last question too, wasn't there, Alex? which I've forgotten now.
3: Yeah, I, I was just mentioning, I know there's there there tends to be a bit of a stigma against American owners because oh, that's we've right. seen, frankly, in the Prem, we've seen that, that pattern. So I just yeah. getting it thoughts there.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, well, frankly, the evidence is there, isn't it? Um, exactly. I, I think the the Fs the FSG group are probably not too bad. You know, I think I think what they've done at Liverpool has clearly worked. I mean, look how successful they've been. Uh, they've kept Klopp in his job for a long time. They've backed that that guy, and that's proven to be right. And the, and the investment in the stadium and the investment in the players has been superb. So, you know, I think by that token, American owners can't all be bad. But I'm afraid there's, you know, for every FSG group, you know, there's a Glazers or a Cronkier or the bloke down at Fulham. You know, and I think the fear that the, the biggest fear that we have, and I, I mean, this isn't this isn't kind of, you know, racist or anything. It's 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 the natural kind of suspicion one has about people who do, do things a different way and who have a different experience. But, you know, we all know over here that sport is very different. You know, in England, football clubs are born out of their community. So that's why we value things like, you know, there is a hierarchy You know, people don't like to talk about this because it gets shouted down. But I don't mind talking about it because I don't I don't belong at the top of the hierarchy. I wasn't born in Chelsea. Uh, My family were never Chelsea fans. I wasn't born into it. So I think that people who were born in Chelsea and a third, fourth generation Chelsea fans are higher up the hierarchy than me. You know, Um, because these things are important. That's what defines football in this country in a way. In America, it's very different. I mean, I I'm a big fan of the L.A. Dodgers. But I know their history because they were the Brooklyn Dodgers once upon a time and they were the Brooklyn Dodgers because it all came from the tramps, didn't it? Well, they used to jump off them and jump on another one. Right. Well, what's it doing in L.A.? <laughs> right. That's that is the model in America. That's the culture in America. The stadiums are not in the middle of the community. They're all built on the outskirts of the city. Right. Yeah. You know, know, the pubs aren't next door. I know this for a fact, because when I went to see Chelsea play in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, I had to get a blooming taxi to the ground (laughs) so far away. So, you know, it's a very different culture and it's very commercial. The the Americans are brilliant. Uh, I mean, I remember my dad, bless his heart, uh, went to see the Washington Redskins 30, 40 years ago and came back absolutely astonished, because he, he, he couldn't take anything into the ground, everything that, he, like a bottle of water, he had to pay for it. And he said, mate, this is nothing like football in this country. It's, it's, just, it's just cynically and clinically commercial. So I don't therefore think that, that many, potentially, an American owner will take a view like that, and that is just not going to go down well here. Look at the aggro you've got with the Arsenal fans. They don't like it yeah, at all. Yeah, and the glazes out. I mean, you know, it's... They just try and extract as much money out of it as they can. The other people, I would say, to avoid like the plague or anybody who tries to you know, leverage the situation as well. So like the Glazers, it was all funded from hedge funds. That's that, and that just lumps the club with debt. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you think that Roman's going to walk away having paid off the debt to him, we'll be debt-free. So what we don't want is an owner who has to borrow the $3 billion and then will lump the debt onto us. And that's a real worry as well.
3: Yeah. No, that's that's definitely a good point. I I said it on a on a prior episode as well. I think if there has to be an American owner, it should probably be me. The only issue <laughs> I, I would be... have you any day, Alex, no problem. See, see, that's that's the thing. I feel like it's it's so easy from our perspective as fans. Uh, I mean, all of us, I'm sure, sitting here think, well, if we magically had the funds to take over Chelsea, we could be the best owners in the world because we'd actually value the community, the values, the the history behind it. It's just kind of it's it's a tough balance trying to get these people who have built their lives in, in a business sense, really not, not central to that Chelsea DNA, and try to get them to understand what it means to the common people who, who just love this club and are super invested in it at every level. Um, but no, that's, th- those are some great answers. So, so thank you very much there. And I don't know if we're, we're trying to shift into the a match review now.
1: No, do yeah. you know what? Just, just on a final point on that, Alex, you, yeah. you, you, make, you make a very good point there because I'm afraid that's the eternal conflict of football. It's basically mm-hmm. antithetical. Football supporters in the main don't give a damn about the money the club makes. They want they want the yep. club to spend all the money they have on buying nice shiny players, right. or or reduce the ticket prices. Because we 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 feel rightly or wrongly that we own the club. We own the yep. soul of the club, that's for sure. But we don't own the club. But we think we, we do. We think that we we think we're the most important element in it. And owners and, and businessmen don't understand that because. Businessmen can't understand, for example, why we would still go if the club's losing, if the club's not successful, if the club's relegated, because that doesn't make any business sense. You know, they, they treat us and they think that we're consumers and customers, but we're not. We're drug addicts. If they're really smart, they recognise that we're drug addicts and they exploit that, and some do. right? But it's a very weird, weird dynamic with football. And, they, and, the, and the people who run football clubs and the people who support them are completely disconnected in what they want.
3: Oh. That's, that's I've never thought of myself as addicted to Chelsea, but now that you say it, it <laughs> makes a lot more sense <laughs> than I would have thought.
0: And look, one, one thing that's interesting, it's been said many times over, is that football clubs are nothing without the fans. Because if all of us decided not to go, turn off our televisions and not watch the matches, there is no Chelsea anymore. There's nothing to support it. So it's a really good point. I think that's something we can... Uh, wrap up this segment on and maybe jump into the Burnley review. So Ched, you've come in a good week because we've had a couple of up and down episodes recently when Chelsea's either performing, not performing, getting a draw here. And like I said, standards have been high in the last few years, so we're looking to always get a good result. Rahul, I'll pass it back to you. Maybe you can do a quick lineup review.
2: Yeah, so let's start with uh, the starting 11. Mendy in goal, Chalaba, Tiago Silva, Rudiger back three. Reese James starting for the first time since I believe the end of December, which was good to see. Engolo, Conte, Jorginho, and Saúl at left wing back. So we'll get Chidge's thoughts on, on him playing that position. Uh, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, and Kai Havertz in the front three, which, in my opinion, I think currently is our best uh, front
0: three. Yeah. So Chid, real quickly, with Saúl at left wing back, we bought him to be almost a utility player. He plays a couple of different positions. We haven't seen too much of him this season. Obviously, it takes time to settle into the prem. How are your feelings about Saúl overall and maybe him at left wing back?
1: It's a good question, Jackie, because, I mean, he was shocking when he, when he first <laughs> played for us because he, he just looked so out of his depth physically, uh, the speed of the game, you name it. He, he just, and, and none of us could understand it because anybody who had seen him play for Atletico knew he was a good player and he's an experienced player as well. And it just shows you really how different the Premier League is to any other league in the world. Absolutely. Um, and I think Tuchel managed him really well, actually, because lately he's been looking a decent player again. Uh, Jonathan was absolutely going mad about how good he was uh, for us against Luton in the week. And and I agree with him. He scored a cracking goal. I felt really sorry for him yesterday, actually, because, he, you know, he's not a left wing back. I mean, I know he can play there, but not in the Premier League. He can't. Right. I mean, he's even slower than Alonso, <laughs> you know, and I, I just felt really sorry for him. And I mean, fair play to him for doing a job for the team, yeah. actually. Because clearly we don't have any other left wing backs fit. Hudson Doy was not fit. Alonso's got COVID, I think. So you know, I think people, I think fans forget these things a lot. You know, they they just, they see what's in front of them and they don't really look behind it. And I think fair play to him for doing a job for the team yesterday.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because we get overly critical. I mean, I was critical of Saul when he first came in, but you look at it and he's not complained once. He's turned up whenever they've asked him to do a job, whether he's played in midfield, on the left, and he's done a good job when he's called upon. So yeah. hopefully it's something where we can see him in the shirt for a little bit longer if he's happy to say and if Chelsea are happy with his performance.
1: I think he's off. I don't I don't think they've, uh, they're have they not going to renew the contract. Okay,
0: that's good to I, know. I mean, you
1: know, I, I kind of feel for him because I do. As a human being, yeah. But would you rather Conor Gallagher, Billy Gilmore come back, or would you rather keep Saul?
0: Ex- excellent point. I think we've been all watching Conor Gallagher for the last six, eight months now, and there's a real player developing there. But that's yeah. that can be a whole conversation for another time. Uh, Alex, I'll come to you. Reese James back in the starting lineup. Do you see the difference he makes when he's back in the team?
3: Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it's really night and day to a point. I think. All of us, all of the Chelsea fans are aware of Reese James's quality. And I know it, at least online, it's it so often devolves into a, a Trent versus Reese James debate. You see that with the depth that England has in that right back position. Everyone wants to compare. Everyone wants to, to say who's world class, who's not. But for me, it's as simple as this. He is one of, I, I won't try to be edgy and, and call him the best. He is one of the best right backs in the world. Call him a right wing back, call him whatever you want. We play immensely better when he's on the pitch, Um, and I think that's why it's not an exaggeration to say that the injuries to him and to Ben Chilwell really did derail our season. And that's almost weird to say because our season wasn't a disaster. Um, uh, We're we're actually doing relatively well. I would say the standards are high, as as we've mentioned. Um, But but that, I mean, what what else can you say? He comes in, he starts, and he scores a brilliant goal. Gets a perfect assist. There's, there's no more praise we can heap on him because it's, it's just redundant at this point. Chelsea fans know how much they love him. And I, I have said, which my Liverpool friends have, have made plenty of fun of me for, I have said many times for a couple of years now that myself, and I don't believe any Chelsea fan would swap Reese James for Trent Alexander-Arnold at this moment because he is just unique in his balance and his skill set that he brings to that side. So, I mean, thrilled to have him back. I think he is integral to this team. And you've heard me say that Trent
0: is the knockoff Reese James. I wouldn't repeat that too many times, but Rahul, I'll come back to you. You already touched on the front three. You said that they are the best front three we have so far. Uh, What does this mean for Lukaku? Does he now take a back seat? Do you continue with this front three as much as you can?
2: You have to on the, just from what we've seen the last few games, the three of them, and maybe if Ziyech comes in, depending on uh, fitness and, and how Mount's doing, I think between the four of them, the attack is a lot more fluid. It brings a lot more uh, influence in the attack in terms of who comes in and who rotates. You saw Pulisic ending up with the fourth goal in the box. And and I think with Lukaku, it tends to be everyone kind of feels like he has to be the one in the middle. And I'd love to hear Chud's thoughts on this too, because with Kai Havertz, we suddenly feel like all the issues we've spoken about, oh, the, the ball from midfield isn't quick enough. We're too slow. Releasing our attackers goes away because... He just seems to be drifting, uh, taking defenders away. And with Lukaku, it seems a little more rigid. And the team still haven't, I guess, figured out how to play with him because he's been here six, seven months now, was injured, had COVID, statement issue came out, was dropped, had a run of games, but we still can't seem to get him in. So I think for now, in the foreseeable future, at least towards the end of the season, if Kai Havertz is fit, Kai Havertz starts and and let Lukaku earn that place back because we've seen that when. He's hungry Where there's competition for places. Players tend to come in and perform better.
1: Uh, yeah, they do. I mean, the whole Lukaku thing, I and mean, I'm sure like like us, you know, you've done many a show where most of the chat has been about Lukaku, but uh, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you go back to the game yesterday, even, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with your point earlier on that, that you know, uh, Havertz, Mount, Pulisic, Havertz, Mount, ZH, any combination of those four, that's our best attacking lineup, But it's not just about the attack. And I think that was so obvious yesterday because Burnley are blooming good at being very organised. I mean, they were playing 4-4-2 and they were playing 6-2-2 out of possession. Yeah. So they were impossible to break down. So it didn't matter that you had Pulisic, Mount and Havertz floating around and moving and trying to pull them out of the position because they refused to let that happen. So the bigger problem for me is the midfield. And yesterday in the first half, we moved the ball too slowly, and also it meant um, and I mean the, the attackers were at fault too because they were far too static and that didn't help. Um, second half, you know, we moved the ball up. People uh, mount into midfield, which I I I I think he's a number eight mount. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't think he's a number ten. I think he needs to be. And I think you know this is going to be really interesting to see how this develops. That you know that will we go four three three rather than three four three? And I think that's going to depend on what defenders we have. So there could be quite a few changes next season and of course we'll have Connor Gallagher but yeah. you could effectively I mean perfect world you have Rice Gallagher Mount in my book you know but uh, we'll see won't we but the other thing I would say about Lukaku I do feel a bit sorry for him I mean I think he's a confidence player I think he shot himself in the foot with that stupid interview with Sky <laughs> Italia and I think that's really affected him I think he's had I think that ankle injury on him was far worse than anybody let on And of course he had COVID and we don't know what the effects of that are really because it changes from who you are. Um, And we don't play a system that will play to his strengths at all. We just don't. And often we're far too slow in the build-up. And often we pass square and often we don't play the ball between the lines. So we don't play to the guy's strengths at all. And I think that's a real shame for him. But what I would say, again, it goes back to the midfield. Uh, Drogba had Lampard. Costa had Fabregas. Who has is, who is, who is, who is, uh, Lukaku got to play that kind of a ball? None of them. So I think it's hard for him. I, I, I feel for him, but I'm glad that Tuchel's kind of worked it out, that we just don't play the way that suits him. We haven't got the players to play the way it suits him. So play your best team in the best style that we have. And that's habits up front in my book. Yeah.
0: And Chij, it's interesting to hear your thoughts. We're on the other side of the world see the same things and we're struggling to see how we fix this. So obviously summer is going to be important. Now it does depend on who the owner is and how things are going to play down there. But having some of those guys come back like Conor Gallagher and, and people like that, that could potentially unlock Lukaku would be brilliant. But I'm going to take us from the front line to the back line. I think we've praised this man enough, but I'd like to get your thoughts, Jig. Tiago Silva, 37, 38. I think we signed him for another year. How long can he keep going? Cause he's looking brilliant. Yeah,
1: well, Hopefully at least another year. Um, I've just my, The latest piece I did for CFC UK was, was all on Thiago Silva and just what an incredible player he is. And he's just been fan- I mean, he is just a joy to watch, whether you're at, at the game or, or watching it on TV. I mean, he is easily you know, one of the best, best players I think there's ever been in that position. I mean, yeah. I think he's that good. He's one of the best players I've seen play at Chelsea in that position. I mean, I don't know what more you can say about him. He's just absolutely brilliant. And I just wish that, you know, that we could have uh, signed yeah. him in 2008. Yep. Yeah, Scolari those, wanted
0: him. Yeah, one of those where we wish we had got him earlier, but I'm happy
1: to have him now. I'll say it that can way. Can you so. imagine John Terry and, and and Thiago Silva together? Incredible. That would be an incredible partnership. Yeah. So he's brilliant. I absolutely love the guy. He, he, he gets us. He loves us. He loves the kind of response he gets from the fans. I mean, there's, and he's got an amazing wife who's completely bonkers. I mean, there's nothing, there is nothing not to love about Thiago Silva.
0: Absolutely. I think that's going to be hopefully another year with him and that's going to be exciting. Alex, I'll bring you in. Chidge already talked about this a little bit. Second half versus first half. What happens? It's not, it's not a new story at Chelsea. Sometimes we have two different teams turn up for the different
3: halves. Yeah. It, as you mentioned, it is a pattern. We, we have observed at times and I, I'm just pulling up the stats here. We, we didn't have a single big chance in the first half And we had one shot inside the box as compared to Burnley's four watching that first half was for me, a little bit of a shock to the system. I mean, having still almost riding, it's tough to call it a high since we lost in the end on penalties, but riding that what I would say was a brilliant game from an objective standpoint against Liverpool in terms of how open and attacking it was, obviously the finishing leaving much to be desired. Um, but then coming and then just, just throwing yourself against, as Chidge mentioned, this back six um, with then layers upon layers of Burnley players refusing to be dragged out of position. It was, it was quite uh, humbling in, in a way to see this very talented team who we all, all know and love. We know their capabilities just running up against a brick wall in the form of Burnley. And I think, that was that was concerning to me because you look at that and you say, well, we have all these great players with all, all this talent on the ball, but they're not doing anything. They're not producing anything right now. And so after that first half, I was thinking to myself, I, I love this lineup. As we've mentioned, I think some combination of those four, uh, the Havertz, Mount, Ziek, Polisic, I think is our best, most fluid, most dynamic, maybe most dangerous front three, somewhere in there. Um, I, I do agree with you all that that Mount tends to actually be a little better deeper, but that's a system issue. Um, and I was thinking, you know, is this you throw Luke Kaku on and you hope he can bully a defender into getting a half space. And I mean, we, we saw it against Liverpool. Um, he did quite well to feel the ball cut back and, and beat, beat one defender power into power it into the bottom of the net. Sometimes maybe that's just what you need to win the game. Um, and I was sitting there thinking if, if things don't change, we might just need Lukaku on there to try to bully his way to having a half space to a scuffy little goal. And we'll take that. Um, but luckily whatever Tuchel did at halftime seems to have worked, call it the players, call it the manager. I don't know, but it was, it was quite the change in terms of how we came out. Just that little bit more dynamic, quicker with the balls. No longer did we see in the first half, really Rudiger was the one breaking lines with passes. And, and that's concerning. I know Chid has mentioned multiple times, the midfield, being uh, really key to how we how we feed the front line, and it was Rudiger in the first half who was ripping shots from long distance and trying to thread passes. Um, but finally, with Mount a little deeper, I think we we did see a lot more fluidity in our play. And I mean, Reese James then opened the floodgates. There's there's not much more you can say than than we desperately needed that goal. And once it came, I think that that hurts Burnley's resolve a little bit. Um, and obviously I was thrilled to see my man, Polisic, <laughs> get on the score sheet, get a great assist to Kai Havertz with his his weak foot, so to speak, but he's pretty good with the left as well. So I don't know. I was thrilled, but I could not have seen that four-goal second half coming based on how the first half went.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a oh, well-summarized second half there. Rahul, I'll come back to you. Kai Havertz is really coming into his element. I know we've talked a lot about him fitting into the squad, but now he's coming in with goals. He seems to have worked on his aerial talent as well. I think it's his third or fourth goal so far with his head. Do you think that this striker position is his long-term goal maybe, or that's what we're going to play him as?
2: I think for the rest of the season, absolutely. And and as and when we address the Lukaku issue, like Ched was saying, maybe with Conor Gallagher or with the different midfielder, uh, Kai Havertz could almost play as a second striker, which is what he used to do at Leverkusen. Uh, so between him and Lukaku, I think next season, there could be a partnership building. But for the rest of this season, I think uh, Kai Havertz has to be, be that central figure. And we saw that in the Champions League final too. Right. Uh, between him and, and Timo Werner, that goal really comes from their movement and their ability to, to run through. So I think uh, for the foreseeable future, the next couple of months, let's, let's stick with Kai Havertz and Lukaku can come in, and like I was saying, I think that will maybe a little bit of time out of the limelight, give him some time to focus on the football instead of what's going on off the pitch. Uh, He can come in with the goals, and he did score in the Club World Cup, so he does have uh, goals in him.
0: Yep, absolutely. Chez, I'll come back to you just to get some wrapping-up thoughts. Obviously, we go in that first half, nail-nail. Second half, I think it's seven minutes between three goals, and one thing Rahul actually messages me during the the game is – that's the first time Chelsea in a long time has gone to kill a game where we're not teetering on one nail, two nail, and hoping for it. We actually said we need to put the sword to Burnley and finish this off. Can we do this more? What has to change for this to happen so we can kill off games?
1: Well, they, they have to finish better, basically. It's, it is that simple. I mean, we said on the, on the preview show on Friday, I mean, that, that, the home game against Burnley, we battered them for most of the match. And we just missed chance after chance after chance. So it stays at 1-0. Burnley are always in the game. And that's exactly what happened. They came back and they drew it. And I said, what we need to do is score a goal, preferably early. So I got that wrong. Uh, And then if we do score a goal, we need to get a second and a third because we don't kill games off. You're absolutely right, Jackie. But I think, why did we do it yesterday? I think actually the other side of the coin is that I think Burnley were absolutely deflated. By that first goal, I mean, it was a good goal. I mean, that that was arguably the best of the four goals I think, and uh, they battled really well. And I mean, they should have been arguably a goal or two up actually in the first half, and they wasted their chances. So I think they were really deflated and they lost their shape completely, which which you know really helped us. Um, and I mean, the second the second goal that Havertz goal, another good goal I thought, but you know, bad defending too. The third goal, bad defending again, uh, and a little bit of luck from Havertz kind of coming off the wrong, the wrong foot. So, you know, you kind of need a bit of that sometimes. Yeah. We haven't had much luck either. and I think you need to recognise that. And the fourth goal was a comedy goal, wasn't it? Because basically yeah. Tarkovsky passed it to, to Pulisic, and by doing so, played him onside. So, you know, again, a bit of luck, you know. And I think, so, you know, can you say we, we were finishing really, really well yesterday? Uh, two of the goals were good finishes. But, you know, on another day, you know, Dwight, who was it? Dwight McNeil got rinsed by James, didn't he? And a better defender wouldn't have done. Uh, And for Havertz's goal, a better defender would have got closer to him and not gone to sleep. And that's kind of what's been happening this season. Defenders haven't been going to sleep and haven't, you know, been putting a a wrong foot. And, And we've also been terrible at finishing.
0: Yeah, I'm hopeful towards the next few games we're playing teams in the bottom half that more defenders go to sleep and we get a couple more goals and kill-off games. But speaking of defenders, I want to wrap up with Reese James. Alex praised him heavily. I believe he has five goals and five assists from right wing back. And he's been out for a couple of months. And he's been, you know, one of our key players. What are your thoughts on Reese? I know he's an academy product. He had a breakthrough season under Frank. And now he's coming back to Tuchel's Tide and he's really doing a good job
1: well i mean i think he's without doubt the best of the academy group that came through under frank and i remember at, at, people at wigan were saying this guy's a phenomenal player yeah. but of course we all had our eyes on uh, on mason mount and uh, tammy abraham i mean tammy, tammy's reputation at the club was based upon how good he was in the youth sides and he was phenomenal there and mount mounts i mean i got i mean obviously we'd all see them playing for the youth side but when i saw mount playing for derby I thought this kid's a hell of a player and Tamori too, for that matter. And kind of James had gone under the radar a bit because he was at Wigan, yeah. but it's so obvious now he's he, the guy's world-class already. I mean, he's phenomenal. He's, he's, I think he's, as you were saying earlier, he's one of the most important players in our side. I'd say he's, he's one of the best players in his position in the world at the moment. And to go from where he started, what, two, three years ago to that, that is phenomenal, but he is, he is fantastic. Really yeah, and I,
0: th- I think he's only 21. So I expect a lot more to come out of him in the next few years. Yeah, and we will be watching closely. Rahul, I think that takes us through Burnley. Maybe you want to ask us a few questions about Norwich, because that's a game that's coming up here in the next week or so.
2: Yeah, one, one, another midweek fixture, I beg your pardon. And uh, I honestly was a little surprised because I knew we were playing them. Uh, It got rearranged. Obviously, we moved ahead in the FA Cup, and and all of a sudden I see my fantasy team saying Reeves James is playing twice. Uh, So that's actually how I I figured it out. But, uh, Chidge, we go away to Norwich City. They're rock bottom of the the table, Uh, another side that we face that's going to be defending deep, holding their shape as much as they can. Uh, What do you think – how do you think this plays out? Do you think we can kick on from this 4-0
1: win and maybe add a couple more goals here? Well, obviously, I hope so. And hopefully that, you know, getting forward will have given them a better confidence. Um, I mean, Norwich have actually, they, they've improved their form under Dean Smith. They've been they've been a much better side recently. But I, I think getting walloped by Brentford, which will have really, hopefully, you know, floored them a bit. Um, But Dean Smith, Smith is a decent manager and they'll be very well organised. I mean, the reality is, is that you put us up against them. If all of our players turn up or, or, or bring their A game, we're going to thump them because we're much better than them. But, of course, football's not like that. And, you know, we, you do need a little bit of luck sometimes. Sometimes it needs to go in off your shin or something. And I think, as always, it's the attitude. It's the pace. You know, they need to move the ball around quickly, not pass it around side to side. The front three have to be really fluid and move a lot, you know, and we need to get an early goal and, and just depress them. And I think if we do that, a bit like when we had them at home, we scored quite early, didn't we? And then the floodgates can possibly open. But it's all about attitude and, and the speed of, with which they, they move the ball around for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And
2: hopefully the four goals obviously take away from a little bit of what's being reported in and around the club. Focus turns a little bit more onto what's going on on the pitch. And, and that allows obviously Tuchel, but also the players to focus on, on the games coming. So uh, a score prediction from you, because we usually tend to throw up predictions from the three of us on our Instagram. So we'll add you to that one this time around.
1: Well, OK, I mean, Alex will appreciate this because uh, obviously with his, his father uh, in the, prem, the Chelsea fan Prem Predictions League, I feel duty bound to kind of go in there and find out <laughs> what I predicted for. It. And by, by the way, Alex, I hope we see you in it next year. and then you can challenge your old man. Yeah, maybe, maybe. All right. I've said 3-1. OK. To us, to us obviously. 3-1.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that, that, that's a good uh, prediction. Alex, how about you?
3: Um, I personally was was going with 3-0, hoping we can keep another clean sheet. Um, so we'll we'll see. That remains to be seen. <laughs> and Jackie, you?
0: Yeah, I've also gone for a 3-1. I think that we can get the goals, but we need to keep concentration to not concede one. And
2: I'm going to go with the 2-0. So uh, win all around. And like Jid said, if we show up with the right attitude and the right determination, we should be getting the win and hopefully solidifying this third spot because Arsenal are – closing in a little bit, uh, although we do have to play them. So we'll, we'll focus on the Chelsea women's side real quick here. Uh, Chidge. we want to get your thoughts on on the game yesterday, but overall just the job Emma Hayes and the squad have been doing. Uh, so they did play Man City in the Conti Cup uh, yesterday. Unfortunately, they lost after taking the lead, which was a bit surprising, but ultimately Man City came out like a house on fire in the second half. Uh, overpowered us in midfield and and eventually got the goals that we really could not respond to, uh, and we were missing the likes of Fran Kirby, uh, Leopold's uh, Cut Cutbert, and Jess Fleming. So maybe that was a, a little bit of an impact, but I think we still had enough to to win and and get this cup for the third time. So, Jid, your thoughts on the game and overall, just how the women have been doing?
1: Well, I, mean, I didn't see the game, but uh, you know, obviously, I was aware of what was going on. It's a real disappointment, I think. I have right. to say, I mean, nobody likes to lose a final, obviously, and you know it was gutting for them. It's kind of reminded me of when they got knocked out that the you know the the champions their equivalent of the Champions League.
2: yeah, you
1: know, unexpected, bit of a bit of a bad day at the office. It's kind of odd this season with what's been going on with the women's team. I mean the, the last season and the few seasons before they've just felt you know just insurmountable, you know, right. unbeatable, if you like. They've looked a lot more a lot more vulnerable this season, and I can't for the life of me understand why. I need to go and talk to my mate Dean, who does yeah. the Went yeah. to know Kings Meadow podcast for us. But they don't they don't seem as unbeatable as they they have done in previous seasons. I'm not quite sure why, uh, and it's sad to see because I think you know people need to give that women's team an awful lot of love. There's some absolutely world class players in that team, uh, and and I think with in Emma Hayes, I mean. You know, she's one of the best managers in the world. I mean, and, I mean, we're lucky over here. She quite often does punditry right, in some right. of the games, uh, some of the men's games, and she's just brilliant. Everything about Emma Hayes is absolutely brilliant, and they deserve everything that they get. They're, they're a super outfit. Uh, and, I, and I'm so, I mean, again, that's it's interesting. We, we didn't talk about this earlier on when we were talking about Roman, but, you know, he put a lot of investment into that women's yes. team, which is why they are where they are now, and that needs to continue, whoever comes in. But uh, no, I've got a lot of love for the women's team, and I was really, really sad to see that uh, it didn't work out for them yesterday.
2: Yeah, we were too, and, and we've covered them uh, pretty much from the beginning of, of our podcast, and uh, we continue to shed the light and give them the attention that they deserve because on in most cases and most weekends, Jackie and Alex going to test. We come on here and talk about a loss for the men, but the women kind of bring us uh, bring us up and and send us off on a, a high at the end of the weekend. So. Uh, Wishing them the best for the rest of the season. I know they have a couple of games in hand against uh, Arsenal, who's at the top of the Super League. So hopefully we can close that out. Uh, we do have the FA Cup as well. So still a lot to play for. And and at the end of the day, they could finish off with two trophies, which would yeah. uh, be a disappointment compared to what they've been winning in the past, but still uh, a lot that they could uh, finish off with. So before we wrap it up, Jackie, Alex, any parting thoughts, any, uh, any wrapping thoughts here?
0: Yeah, Chij, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're one we've listened to for years and your voice is echoing in my ears when I used to listen on my little phones that were not even smartphones back then. So it's an honor to have you on here. And obviously the conversation has been brilliant. It's good to hear your perspective being on the ground there. Obviously us abroad, uh, we support Chelsea and we have to wake up super early in the morning. And so just having somebody who's out there with us, but on their time zone has been absolutely exciting. Thank you for being here. It's been, it's been an honor
1: it's been a real, real pleasure, actually, Jackie. And uh, I, I'm, you know, you, you're both in Ghana, which is brilliant, I think, as well. And whenever I think of Ghana, I mean, Ghana's got such a fantastic yeah. track record in football, uh, going way, way, way back. And uh, they have got brilliant names of teams. Like, is there a team that called Hearts of Oak or something? Yeah, yeah. they are. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, which is a very English kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, know, I know the English. I know the English brought football to Ghana. But right, yeah. whenever I think of Ghana, I just think of Michael Essien
3: yeah
0: (laughs) always always yeah absolute legend and we've actually had a chance to see him in person and play at the afcon and he is absolutely a tank when he's playing on the pitch so it's absolutely brilliant
1: he's one of my favorite players when he was at chelsea but no it's been a real pleasure and it's been lovely meeting you and and talking talking football with you guys and it's absolutely as you say on your kind of summary on, on spotify that you know you guys are like thousands of miles apart but you've got this shared love of football and Chelsea and talking about it, and I totally totally get that. and it's been brilliant to be part of that. So thank you for asking me.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely, Alex. Yeah, well, thank you very much. This has been great. obviously, you're you're welcome back anytime, and uh, maybe at some point we can we can uh, hopefully if uh, if the future aligns, we can maybe come in person catch a game together at some point and, and live your your actual match day experience so that we don't always have to be watching it through a screen. So
1: First beers are on me, Alex.
3: There you go. <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh,
2: thanks, thanks, Jackie and Alex. And Chidge once again, from, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know this has been a year in the making. I'd reached out uh, or had mentioned that we were starting this and you said, anytime you want me, I will be on there. Uh, and and that's the beauty of it is you're willing to help and, and work with anybody who wants you on there so thank you once again and uh welcome back and hopefully we'll see you like alex said uh, maybe early next season uh, for a game or two and and we can chat again and, and enjoy some beers uh but wishing you the best for the rest of the season and uh the rest of the fancast group as well and uh hopefully we get to chat again in the very near future
1: yeah hope so looking forward to it already
2: awesome and that wraps it up guys thank you very much for very much for listening please continue to subscribe like and follow us Uh, And we will be back later this week with the Norwich review and a Newcastle
3: preview because the games keep coming, but until then stay safe and up the Chelsea.